0: Mike Waddell is our flautist this morning. Thank you so much, Mike, for being with us. Fantastic job. I had this idea just while I was listening to the music. I would love to have, Julia, like a CD of, like, Wrightsville's greatest hits in worship. And, uh, and we could just start with today's music, right? That would be so cool. Thank you all so much. Uh, what, a, what a wonderful job. Um, our scripture lesson today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, we're in chapter 26, beginning in verse 17. On the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Where do you want us to make the preparations for you to eat the Passover? He said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is near. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover meal. When it was evening, he took his place with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. And they became greatly distressed and began to say to him one after another, Surely not I, Lord. He answered, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes, it is written of him, but woe to that one by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that one not to have been born. Judas, who betrayed him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. He replied, You have said so. While they were eating, Jesus took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, gave it to his disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will never again drink of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom." When they'd sung the hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty and everlasting God, Lord, we ask that you be with us in our worship and that our worship might carry us into our week, into the places where we go, where we work, where we serve, where we play, where we rest, everywhere. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, there are many interpretations about what actually happens in communion. For instance, back in the Middle Ages, many pious Christians saw what happened here at the table as a kind of magic. The faithful were sitting in the nave, as you are, and the priest would face the altar with his back to the people, and he would start chanting in Latin, a language that most people didn't know, and... They didn't understand exactly what was going on, but they knew a miracle was taking place up here, and that's why they came to church that Sunday was to witness a miracle. It happened when the priest lifted the bread and said in Latin, hoc est corpus meum, which means this is my body given for you. But to the church members with the priest way up front and his back to him, mumbling in Latin, it sounded to them like hocus pocus. And that's literally how we got that phrase into our language today. Hocus pocus, which means an incantation which brings forth magic. Protestant mumblings around communion have some strange expectations as well. There's a wonderful story about a young boy attending a Presbyterian service in Scotland many years ago. And at a certain point in the service, the minister announced that during the singing of the hymn, the elders would be bringing the elements forward. Well, the little boy thought he heard them say, the elephants forward. And all of a sudden, he got real interested in communion. He thought it was going to be like that scene in Aladdin when Prince Ali comes in on an elephant, you know. Needless to say, he was a little disappointed. When I was a kid, we only had communion once a quarter. I knew it was supposed to be something very reverent and special, but I also knew that it meant that we were going to have a shorter than normal sermon. And I could get out of my seat, which was great. And while those paper tasting wafers weren't all that good, it was an exciting moment to go to the altar and kneel. It was the closest that we Methodists ever had to an altar call. You ever had communion served in your seat? Yes, yes. Some of you have okay, good. All right, um, a lot of churches do it that way. Um, I've never experienced that, but what happens is they they pass the trays down the pew um, with a um, a little wafer or a piece of bread on it, and then they would pass a tray with these little shot glasses basically on them. And um and I like I say I've never seen that in a Methodist church, but um. But I'm told that this next story did happen in a Methodist church. The little boy was attending his first communion service with his parents. The sacraments were served in the congregation by passing those trays down the pew. The father held the tray for his son as he took one, and then he took one for himself and moved the tray down down the pew. The little boy who was being allowed to participate in this adult ritual for the very first time did what he'd seen adults do in other rituals that he'd observed, so he touched his father's glass with his own and yelled, Cheers! (laughs) Loud enough for the whole congregation to, to hear. Well, the meaning of what we do in Holy Communion is not captured by any of those anecdotes. It is not magic performed by a sorcerer. And it is not a spectacular extravaganza with elephants, nor is it a cocktail party. To find out what really happens in the sacrament, we turn to the lesson this morning from the Gospel of Matthew. All four Gospels generally agree on what happened there. They all agree Jesus was eating a Passover meal with his disciples. Now, the Passover meal is a meal which commemorates the Exodus, the freedom from slavery in Egypt, God making the Jews their very own nation and making covenant to be their God. Every single element in the meal has some symbolic reference to the event called the Exodus. Jesus, though, in the middle of the meal, takes two of the elements, the bread and the wine, and he gives them a new interpretation. He takes the bread, breaks it, and says this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he takes the cup and he holds it up and he says, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. But he says one more thing after that and I think this is really important to hear. He says, I tell you, I shall not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And that's really about all we remember from Matthew's version of the Last Supper. But that's the essence of the sacrament. These three sentences, these lines that Jesus uttered, the the rituals that have grown up around Holy Communion are all kind of adornments on those three sentences. In those three sentences are to be found the two actions in the meal. The first is remembrance of the cross. This is my body broken for you. This is the, my blood poured out for you. But it's also an anticipation of the kingdom. I shall not drink of this cup again until I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. First, looking backwards, this is my body broken for you. Obviously, a reminder of the cross. First, we look back to what Jesus has already done for us. In the old Methodist hymnal, the the ritual used in the church when I grew up, that was about all that happened. We looked back to the cross. In fact, that service used the term memorial to define what was going on. It said this memorial of his precious death. The ritual focused on the cross, on our sins, looking backwards, remembering how Jesus paid it all for our sins on the cross. And it gave us appropriate lines and time to feel sorrowful for that. It gave us ample opportunity throughout the service to feel really bad. The service begins with a litany of confession that included the Ten Commandments. And then it had a prayer of confession using the term, our manifold sins and wickedness. And then, do you all remember this? No, they're all looking at me like I'm crazy. Okay, yes. Okay, good. Then there was another prayer. you got to be at least my age, I guess, to remember. Then there was another prayer of confession called the prayer of humble access, which had this line in it. We are not worthy to gather up the crumbs under thy table. My sister and I used to whisper that that was the, what we called the crummy prayer. Um, and if that were not enough, just before we received the sacrament itself, we would sing the anus Dei. O Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, have mercy upon us. And after all that, I don't think anyone was in the mood to yell cheers, right? Um, It was a different mood back in those days. It It was a different attitude around the service. It was a penitential mood. It was an introspective mood. It was all about me and my sins. And the reason that I believe that many people back in those days would stay away on Communion Sundays and why I believe it was celebrated so seldom, they tell me it's because people didn't understand it. I don't think that's it. I think the problem is they did understand it. It it communicated very clearly what it was designed to communicate, that it is a remembrance, that it is the memorial of the death of a man, and it's our fault that it happened. The service never really got beyond that. This is my body broken for you. But Jesus says more than that at the Last Supper. He not only said to look back at the cross and remember, he also said to look forward to the kingdom and hope. I tell you, I shall not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Now, there have been many revolutions in worship in the last 50 years, And among the most revolutionary was the discovery that in the early church, communion was not only a looking back on the cross, but a looking forward, anticipating the kingdom. Not only a remembrance, but a service of hope and anticipation. Instead of just focusing alone on the cross, it really focused on the kingdom ahead. And Jesus promised that someday we would celebrate this meal with him in his kingdom. The word that's used for the sacrament is Eucharist, a Greek word that means Thanksgiving. It's an entirely different mood from the observance that I remember, and perhaps the one that you remember too. In fact, we would never call what we did back then a celebration of the sacrament, or Thanksgiving. It was an observance. We observed the sacrament of Holy Communion. The ritual we now use in the Methodist Church, and quite frankly used in churches all around the world, is a service where the sacrament is an anticipation of the kingdom. That is to say, it is oriented to the future and not only the past. And it's oriented that way to teach us to see our lives that way, that Christians are to look forward, not backward. But we've been trained so differently In fact, the whole weight of the wisdom of Western civilization has taught us to think differently than that. It has told us that we are products of our past. There have always been wars, so there will always be wars. There's always been prejudice, so there will always be prejudice. There's always been crime, so there will always be crime. Something has happened in the past, therefore it will always happen again in the future. That's called determinism. Many people who believe this would be shocked to be told that they are a determinist. Um, But especially here in America, where we are taught that we are people of freedom and opportunity and we get to decide on our own future, but practically speaking, that's what we are really, determinists, especially when it comes to thinking about our own lives and our behavior. I think pop culture and A misunderstanding of psychology has shaped us this way. You know, we hear things like, my parents made me this way, or they did this to me, and that's the reason I am who I am today. Or I made that decision in the past, I made this mistake, I made this wrong turn, and that's why I am the way I am today. I can't do anything about it. That's determinism. The belief that the past determines your present. Well, truly, people do come From difficult circumstances, and that does shape their present. But I'm here to tell you that you are more than the sum of your past. Christians believe that the future is what's supposed to shape the present, not the past. The relation between the cross and the kingdom is just that the cross is there to forgive the past so you can put it behind you. You can forgive others and put that behind you. You can be forgiven yourself and put all of your own memories of your sin behind you. And you can live the kind of life that we talk about the future being right here, right now. As Christians, we shape our lives not on what has happened to us, but what is coming to us. We don't look only at what we have been, but what we will become. As the old Isaac Watts hymn puts it, we are marching to Zion, beautiful, beautiful Zion, We are marching upward to Zion, that beautiful city of God. That is what is awaiting us. Jesus said, I shall not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. That's why people who are oriented to the future are are so hopeful. They're courageous. They're ready to forgive. They accept forgiveness in their own life. They're not chained to their past. They're ready to put the past behind them and get on with it. They're looking at what Jesus said life should be life and what will be like and someday in the future will be, and they try to make that present reality happen now. One of the most dramatic illustrations of that was in a movie that was popular years ago called Places in the Heart. It starred Sally Field. Do you all know this movie? You might know this movie? A few people. Okay, you don't have to. It's all right. I'm going to tell you what, what happened. Um, it's set in Texas during the Great Depression, and it's about a woman who's left as a widow when her husband is killed, and now she's got to raise her children by herself. She must face each day by herself, run the farm by herself, deal with her problems every day by herself. Her name is Mrs. Spaulding, and that's the only name she goes by throughout the entire movie. And you wonder, how does she do it? How does she get through all this? Where does she get the courage, the strength, the faith, the hope, the love in the midst of what looks like misery? I know where she gets it. It's as plain as it can be right there in the movie. But what amused me was that the critics who reviewed the movie, they didn't get it, which is further proof that the Christian view of life, is different than the rest of the world. They saw the movie in terms of a class struggle. They saw it as a struggle between the rich and the poor. They saw it as some commentary on the plight of the small farm in America. None of them liked the last scene. Those of you who've seen it, have you seen the last scene? You remember the last scene? Right, right? It's awesome. Um, And again, critics didn't understand it. You'll understand it, though. It was on a Sunday. Is communion. And, and the camera's first on, uh, on the minister, and he's reading from 1 Corinthians 13, you know that chapter about faith, hope, and love abide, these three, right? Okay, and, and then the camera shows the us, ushers passing the communion trays down the pews. And, and with each person, they're saying to one another, the peace of the Lord be with you always as they pass the tray to the next person. And it's so powerfully wonderful. It's amazing. The camera moves up, so now you can see the faces of the people who are sitting side by side. And the first person they they show is Mrs. Spaulding. And sitting next to her is her husband, the one who's been killed, okay? He's there now with his family. The camera moves to the next person in the pew. It's the man who killed him. And Mr. Spalding turns to this man and says, the peace of the Lord be with you always, right? And so then the man next to him is the African-American man who helped this white widow make the farm a success. He's sitting there. And next to him is the banker, the one with the the, uh, smooth manners but kind of a cold heart, right? He's there. And next to him is the couple that's threatening to split up because of marital infidelity. They're sitting side by side holding hands, The critics say, what is this? What is this about? Why is this in the movie? They didn't get it. You and I, we get it, right? We know that what we do here in Holy Communion is looking forward to that day when life will finally be the way God intends it to be. So we understand how Mrs. Spaulding is able to go forth victoriously in spite of the terrible harshness in her life. And we can understand why she took in an outcast and why she cared for the homeless and why she had concern for the blind and the lame and why she never felt sorry for herself in spite of what life had given her. Because she had her eyes on the future, not on the past, not on what had been. We know also why the preacher read from 1 Corinthians 13. Because he speaks of what endures, what will be there in the end. Everything else passes away, but faith, hope, and love abide these three. They'll be there when Christ eats with us at his holy table. This is what makes us different, we Christians, this meal. We are different because we look to the future, the way life will be one day, and we let that future determine our present. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Turn with me now to page 12 in your hymnal as we will celebrate this holy meal together. Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have rebelled against your excuse me. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Let's continue to pray in silence. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. Turning the page, the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord. God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you and blessed is your son Jesus Christ. By the baptism of his suffering death and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the spirit. On the night in which Jesus gave himself up for us, he took bread He gave thanks to God, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to God, gave it to his disciples and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit on all of us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world, until Christ comes in final victory, and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. I'm going to ask those who are going to help, if they'll come forward now, and remind you that the bread which we break is a sharing in the body of Christ. And the cup of salvation for which we give thanks is a sharing in the blood of Christ. Help me. We'll go to the middle. Thanks. Bread right over on this side, if you'll help Kant con- It's not just about the past. It's also about your future. The way Jesus intends life to be. Succumb. So taste and see that the Lord is good.